let's preach. Matthew chapter number 7, beginning with verse number 13. We'll read through the rest of the chapter. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse number 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Life is full of choices. Just this morning, we've already made hundreds of choices. After waking up, we decided if we wanted to get out of the bed immediately or lie there a little longer. For those of you who are paying attention, you know what, which one I chose. 
We, we, we had to decide, make a choice. Do we make up the bed or not? Do we go to the bathroom first or start the coffee pot? Do we check our phone or pray? We, we had to choose what clothes to wear. Everybody on who was singing this morning got the memo that we were wearing black. Except for one. <laughs> then we had to choose which shoes match best with said clothes. Coming to church today, we had to make a choice of what route to take to church. We even had to make a choice to attend or stream the Bridge Church. Life is full of choices. Right now, some of you are choosing whether you will continue to listen to this message or not. But then, not only do we have choices to make on our own, but then the culture will force us to make choices. For instance, many of us last year were forced to choose who had the best chicken sandwich. Popeyes or Chick-fil-A? I had the college students, I had the college students put some uh, ideas or some topics that we could suffer. Uh, 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 what did I just say? No, yeah, we're going to suffer through those uh, topics. Some topics that we could discuss. And somebody wanted to know Put on their uh, list, Marvel or DC. If you're a sports fan, we are caught up in the argument, argument of who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Watch this, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? That's the first time I've seen Dan Newton ever raise his hand. Who's the basketball goat, LeBron or MJ? Do not say LeBron. The devil is a liar. Life is full of choices. Who's the greatest entertainer, the other MJ, Michael Jackson, or Prince? Uh-huh. Then there are bigger choices that we've had to make. Where to live, where to work, which car to buy, new or used, car, truck, or SUV. Some of you are even making career choices or career changes at the moment. Choices, other choices like, should we have kids? How many children should we have? Should we homeschool them? Put them in private school or public school. Life is full of choices. Some of you are even choosing majors or choosing to change majors, not for the second time, but the third time, the fourth time, or maybe even the fifth time. Beloved, life is full of choices. 
And today in our text, Jesus presents us with two choices, two paths, two destinies. And some of the choices I mentioned earlier were trivial. Others were more important. However, that the, the choice that Jesus puts before us this morning is a matter of life and death. For the last several weeks, we've been studying Jesus' sermon on the mount. He has told us of the greater righteousness that is required of those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now he's reached his conclusion. And he commands those who follow him to choose who they will follow, Jesus or ritualistic religious leaders. Let's look together at our text, at the choices that face us in this conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. The first choice that Jesus puts before us are two entrances into eternity. Two entrances into eternity. Eternity. Jesus says to his listeners in verse number 13, enter by the narrow gate. The word enter is an imperative, a command. Jesus is calling those who would follow him to come in by way of the narrow gate. Why the narrow gate, you may ask? Jesus doesn't leave us wondering. The alternative, according to the next sentence, is for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. The wide gate, Jesus says, is easy. And naturally, people prefer the easy path. We prefer the path of least resistance. The wide gate is popular, it's enticing, it's attractive, everybody's doing it. The, the wide gate, the broad path, it, it, it is the path of convenience, comfort, ease, and security. The, on the, this wide path, there are little sacrifices required. And little effort is needed. What, what though, preacher, is the wide gate that Jesus is referring to? I'm convinced by way of context that Jesus is referring to, when he talks about the wide gate and the broad path, he's referring to the path of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's the path of external conformity to the law. It's a hypocritical form of righteousness. It's righteousness that keeps to religion in order to impress men and earn the applause of men. It's religion that does it for the sake of appearances. The wide gate is the type of righteousness that is all external, but nothing internal. And Jesus says this is the easy path. It's wide, and the, the word broad there, it really literally means spacious. It's the six-lane freeway. 
Not the three-lane highway here out on Kellogg. But Jesus makes it clear that if you choose the wide gate and, if, and, and, and the broad path, it will ultimately lead to destruction. So Jesus tells his would-be followers to enter the narrow gate. In verse 14, Jesus describes this narrow gate. He says, for the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The narrow gate is the greater righteousness that Jesus called his disciples to in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. The narrow gate is the way of whole person righteousness. Both at beginning at the heart and expressing itself externally. Everything that Jesus has preached up to this point is the narrow gate. And Jesus makes it clear that the way of the narrow gate is hard. The term for hard means compressed, constricted, confined. It's a word that can also be translated oppressed or tribulation. Beloved, the narrow gate is the way of persecution and trials. And for this reason, only a few will find it. And let's be honest with one another, nobody wants the hard life. But Jesus never promised that following him would be easy. Following Jesus is hard. It requires repentance. It requires self-denial. It demands coming to Jesus on his terms and not our own. It obligates us to acknowledge that we are wretched sinners and not inherently good. It demands holiness. Beloved, Jesus makes it clear that there are only two ways to choose from when it comes to eternity. There's the narrow gate and the wide gate. One leads to life and the other leads to destruction. Following Christ is the way of the narrow gate. And following the world and even the way of the religious is the wide gate. And notice, beloved, notice, 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 notice that this is a binary choice. It's either the narrow gate or the wide gate. There's no middle way. There's no middle road. No one is neutral. So the simple question for us this morning is, which path will we travel? Jesus now knows that now that he's talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate, he knows that some will be deceived regarding the narrow path or the wide path. So he warns his listeners of two types of deception. And so now we move from two entrances to now two trees. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. The first type of deception that he warns us of is that of false prophets. Who who are these false prophets? We don't know their exact identity, but from the context, we can infer that they are preachers proclaiming the way of ease and wide gate. They are preachers who preach your best life now. They are preachers who say if you just give more money, then you will be healthy, wealthy. They they are preachers and prophets who say God doesn't want you to suffer. Preachers who declare that God, God don't want you to be broke. So write me a check. How do we discern a false prophet from a true prophet? Jesus says it's easy. You will recognize them by their fruit. Rather than help the poor, they would rather buy them a $25 million, $60 million jet. He says you'll know them by their fruit. What's inside them will become apparent eventually. They will convince you that it's God's will for them to get a private jet. Jesus says to us about these false prophets, beware. Everybody that you see that's got a large crowd that's on television, you better beware. You you better be on guard. Pay careful attention to them. You better inspect the fruit. We zoom out, though. We've zoomed in. Let's zoom out a little bit. This this principle, this test of knowing them by their fruit, it's not just for false prophets, but it's for uh, false disciples as well. Mm -hmm. This is about you, too. You will know them by their fruit. And, beloved, the heartbreaking reality is there's some rotten fruit in the church. Folks who are not living this greater righteousness that Jesus calls us to, rather than loving our enemies, we hate our enemies. Rather than praying for those who persecute us, we curse those who persecute us. Some rotten fruit in the church. Rotten fruit like Lack of self-control when it comes to our anger. Rotten fruit like a lack of fidelity to our covenants and promises. Rotten fruit like not keeping our membership covenant. Rotten fruit like seeking the applause of men rather than the approval of God. There's some rotten fruit. So the first type of self-deception that he warns us against is that of false prophets. But there's another form of deception in our text. And he does it again in pairs. There's two professions. The second kind 
of deception that he warns us against is that of self-deception. Come on, Jesus. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, notice that Jesus makes it clear that there are some people who will profess Jesus as Lord, but still not make it into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, beloved, makes it clear that everybody that's talking about heaven ain't going to heaven. Jesus makes it clear that profession of faith is not enough. Lip service is insufficient for saving faith. Jesus says only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, 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 some of you are having theological indigestion at this moment. Because based on what's just written on the paper, it makes, it makes it seem like Jesus is teaching a works-based righteousness or salvation. Well, we must first remember that Jesus says that those who will enter the kingdom are those who do the will of my Father. That possessive pronoun, my, is loaded. Before we ever talk about doing the will of the Father, one must first believe that God is the Father of Jesus. If that is indeed true, that makes Jesus the Son of God. So the first step is to believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Is that not what Matthew has done as he's written his gospel? He didn't start with this greater righteousness, but back in Matthew chapter 1, he made a case that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew has already made it clear that Jesus is the long-awaited, promised Messiah. So the first part of the gospel is believing that Jesus is the Savior. If he is indeed the Messiah, then he will save his people from their sins. So clearly the first element of saving faith or kingdom entrance is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And we will see that this is a big deal because later on there will be some, that for some this is a stumbling block. But I think Jesus helps us to really define what faith is. Help me, Holy Ghost. Beloved, faith is not just mental assent or mental agreement with a set of truths. Mm. Biblical saving faith requires commitment. This preacher don't believe in grace no more. Watch me. Saving faith is commitment to Jesus Christ. It is a commitment to follow him. Where he goes, I go. 
Thus, doing the will of his father is a faith commitment required to enter the kingdom of heaven. We only do the will of the Father because we first believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which makes him God and thus qualified to be the perfect substitute for sinners on the cross. Therefore, what Jesus is doing here in our text is he's saying to us that those who are true, genuine, authentic disciples will show evidence of their faith commitment through obedience to his command. It's the same argument that Jesus' uh, uh, half-brother James makes when he says, faith without works is dead. Those who are not obedient to the commands of Christ are not eligible to enter the kingdom of heaven because they are not true believers. Beloved, I think this point is crucial to us understanding faith and conversion. I'm convinced and concerned that we've lowered the bar so low in the name of grace when it comes to salvation that we think we're preaching grace, but really it's easy believism. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap, cheap grace. And really what we've been doing is preaching the wide way of eternity rather than the narrow way. Biblical saving faith is not just mental assent to statements of truth. It's commitment based on trust. I remember I was at a funeral one time, and I'm so grateful that at this funeral, they, uh, <clears throat> they extended the invitation to discipleship. They gave people the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And someone, by the grace of God, came forward. They walked down the aisle. And I'm excited. And the preacher that was extending the invitation and leading that element of the service, he asked them what they were there for. They said they wanted to, to change their life, yada, yada, yada. And uh, they said, well, you believe Jesus died on the cross? Yes. You believe he rose from the dead? Yes, you're saved. Let the church say amen. Cheap grace. Easy believism. Y'all, okay, y'all, I haven't done this in a while. Let me get out here. Even demons believe the gospel. But guess what? They going to hell. It's, you just can't believe these truths. It's belief that leads to a commitment to a person. All right, that was good enough. Jesus made it clear that there is a cost to following him. Let's get out of here. We now move to the last two parts, which are two foundations. Beginning in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Jesus now moves from what we say to what we hear and do. Notice Jesus makes it clear again that hearing his words are not enough. Not only do we need to hear the word, but we must also heed the word. Okay, come here, James, have brother Jesus. Here's how he said, but in James 1, 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Beloved, to hear and not do is another form of self-deception. You are lying to yourself. It's like me looking in the mirror this morning and saying, Brandon, you are not bald. But boy, you real handsome. Hey, 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 hey. Come on. There it is. There it is. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I'll see you in a little bit. Jesus. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. All right, let's see if I can recover. Jesus makes it clear here, don't just hear, but do. Again, beloved, the focus is on obedience. This is the focus of his conclusion. There's a word in the Greek, poeo. It means to do, to practice, to produce, to to bear fruit. It's used nine times in in this conclusion. Obviously, it makes it clear just by repetition uh, that Jesus wants us to do what he said. That's the thrust of this entire conclusion. Obey. Jesus says those who obey the commands of Christ are like the wise man who built his house on a rock. When the rain fell down and the winds blew and floods rose, his house did not collapse. Because it was founded on the rock. It had a sure foundation. Whereas those who are disobedient to the words of Christ are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And when the floods came, his house collapsed. Beloved, this passage ought to cause us to reflect on how we work through Sunday mornings. We hear the word Every Sunday morning. But what do you do with the word you hear every Sunday morning? Do you apply it to your life? Do you live it out? Are you obedient to it? Is it changing who you are? Is it changing your life? Too many Christians come to church every Sunday, hear the word, but never do anything with the word. And Jesus says, if you hear but don't do, you're headed towards total collapse. All of your righteousness will be deemed a total loss in the end. It only leads to destruction. Worship team, you can start making your way. How do we apply this this word that we've heard this morning? Jesus has made it easy for us. First, he says, enter by the narrow gate, which is the, the way of Christ as he has laid out in this sermon. Then he tells us to be on guard against deception, deception without and deception within. 
And finally, this conclusion to the sermon is a clear call to obedience to the words of Christ. And so here are a couple of questions for self-reflection and examination. Where are you falling short in regards to obedience to Christ? Why do you call Jesus Lord but not submit to him? Why do you celebrate Jesus as king and do not keep his commands? Someone today needs to respond to this word by finally responding to Jesus' lordship. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior of your sins. You've reached the point where you know that you are a wretched sinner. And as a result of your sinfulness, you deserve eternal damnation. But finally, you've seen that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die your death, to die in your place on a cross. At the cross, the wrath of Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out on his one and only son. That Jesus died your death, became your substitute. That Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. And God gave evidence of his acceptance of that perfect sacrifice of his son. When he got him up out of the grave on the third day and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus has done all the work that's required to make us right with our maker so that we might be at peace with God rather than be his enemies so that we can become citizens of his kingdom rather than citizens of the kingdom of darkness. One thing remains. Our response to God's love and grace is to trust it's a faith commitment to follow Jesus. I, I, I'm laying aside. I'm turning away from whatever I was putting my trust in to make me right with God. Being a good person, doing good works and good deeds. Growing up in a Christian household. Going to a Christian school. Going to church every Sunday. I'm turning away from trust in those things and putting all of my trust and commitment in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so now somebody needs to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone in this room, somebody who's streaming this morning. You've acknowledged, you've heard clearly that belief in the truths of the gospel are insufficient. But it's a belief that leads to a lifetime commitment of following Jesus. For the rest of us, 
call is put your faith to work. By obeying every command of Christ. Not to earn his favor, not to earn his love. God already loves you. He's proven that and demonstrated that. But you obey him because you love him. Because you're being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us stand now and sing in response to the revelation we've received.